everybody. Welcome to the Afterward. I'm Dave Tish. It is officially Advent, guys. It is December, uh, which means uh, here we are. I, we are in the middle of the Christmas season. And loyal listeners out there, I just um, I wanted to let you in on a problem that I'm having. Um, I mean, yes, I know it's not that big of an issue, but it is an important one for me. Um, as Christmas season approaches, I know exactly what to get for my daughter, for my son, for a couple of friends that I, I, I know and love, for some of my relatives, I know exactly what to get. But for my wife, I'm having the hardest time trying to figure out what to get her. I want to get her the perfect Christmas gift, but she already has me. So I don't know what to do. You know, it's just, it's tough, you know, it's tough. Okay, I say that, obviously joking, but I <laughs> I also want to point out that so often in in life and in marriage, if, if you're married, you know this, and I want to speak to my married friends, often we actually take the biggest gift that God has given us relationally, and we actually take it for granted. Sometimes we actually, uh, the, the, the miracle of that person is actually... Uh, you know, we take it for granted. We, we we lose sight of its awesomeness. If that's possible with the people right in front of us, then it certainly is possible, I think, with God. And sometimes the nativity, the story of Advent, the coming of Christ can actually become so familiar that we lose our wonder, awe, and majesty. If there's anything that Matthew and Luke and John want to get across to us is that the story of Jesus inspires awe and wonder in all who hear it. And uh, I want to be a person who gets it. I want to be a person who experiences awe and wonder this Christmas and um, doesn't take things for granted. So that's what this week is about. Steve Clifford's here to talk about how we can uh, kind of wake ourselves up to the reality of the beauty of the incarnation that Jesus actually came down to earth, um, why that's so awe-inspiring, and also we get real pastoral. What to do if you don't feel that way? What to do when you don't feel like God's that close. So powerful, powerful time. We're going to talk about that pastorally. So let's just dive into that. And in the words of that old Christmas song, let's experience the wonder, the wonders of his love. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. And wonders of his love And wonders and wonders of his love Hey, welcome to the afterwards. Steve, you're here. <laughs> I am here. Hey, let me Advent, ask you. Advent season is on us. It is. Before we get into Advent and religious stuff, I want to ask, uh, when you look back on it, what was the best Christmas present you've ever, you received when you were a kid? Okay, so without question, the best Christmas present I ever got was a Swin five-speed um, Stingray bicycle packaged as the orange crate. Somebody that's older, my age, will remember, but Stingray came out with a a red version of it, which was Apple Crate, and it had a five-speed gear shifter on, like a stick shift on yeah. the on the up tube. And then I had my so my brother got that and I got the orange crate and it had this it had the stingray banana seat. Oh, wow. The, you know, slick in the back. How old was, are you now at this uh, point? Huh? I was I was fourth grade. Oh, man. Fifth, so that was just perfect for grade, bikes. Maybe. 
It's the best the best present ever for a kid uh, in fourth grade's a bike, right? Yeah, it was just and we gosh, we we went all over the city, <laughs> man. I mean, I can't believe we were able to do some of the things we went. So, I mean, we went hours away, hours, <laughs> hours of riding to other sides of the town. And, um, and we would leave on Saturday morning and come back at dark on Saturday night. And no, no, nobody ever even thought anything wow. about it. What an adventure. How, how, do you remember how you like drank slash ate? Did you pack like little food? Yeah, we we all packed us to lunch and wow, you know, that's exciting. We went, or we just didn't have anything to eat, and we yeah. thought that was dumb. We should have thought of this before. <laughs> but back then, well, first my parents my parents weren't super uh, <laughs> supervision of the kids wasn't a big deal. <laughs> and then I think it was just a time, you know, it was a kind of a smaller town out just outside of Dallas, a little suburb of Dallas, and. Kind of safer and slower. Yeah. Yeah. Back then. It was a long time ago. Yeah, it was. Yeah. That's cool. Um, okay, that's that's an awesome How about you? How oh, about you? oh, it's without question. I was five and it was the Star Wars Death Star playset. And <laughs> I I still have pictures of me like looking at this thing. I it was my parents also got me some action figures that were Star Wars and that was I played I played with that every day, four hours a day, four years. So that was, wow. that was, wow. I was the imagination. That's, that's where I lived. So that was the best. Uh, and you know, just star Wars when you're five, it was just in my whole, it was a story I lived in. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is, is I also remember the worst present I ever got. Oh, what's the worst present you've ever got? Th- this is a great question. So I was in college, um, and came home. I, and when I would, I, I wasn't really home much when I was in college um, I would stay at other people's houses and stuff like that. But I came home for Christmas Eve and it was clear that there was that that my mom had not bought me a present. Every, all the presents under the tree were for all the other your kids. younger siblings. Yes. Yes. Which was fine. I mean, but she what she did was she went and she didn't think I was watching, but I watched her go underneath the tree, grab a present. Oh, she switched wrapped. the tags. And went back in the back room no. and switched the tag no. and then back under so that I would have a present. Oh, under the tree no. So the, you, it, not only are you getting a present that wasn't meant for you, but you're taking from one of your siblings. You don't want right. that. And, it, and it, was a, it was a present like for a, it was like a game for a 10 year old. Oh, right? no. It was, it oh. was a, and it was, it was really embarrassing for everybody. She had obviously forgotten me, but she didn't want to admit it. And, oh, and, man. I ended up just giving the present. I think it was a tank board game. Sure. Board game with tanks. Sure. And I ended up giving that to my, my little brother. Who wanted my, it. My youngest, which is who it was for anyway. <laughs> anyway. Oh, man. Oh, that's, really, yeah. Well, really uncomfortable time. Yeah, I can see that. That's that's uncomfortable. Um, okay, let me transition because um, we're in Advent. And I wanted to ask you a question before we get in this. Um, I was thinking about this today. It's really difficult to enter the Advent season and hear something new when you've been a Christian for more than a couple of years. Like there's a sense of the repetition of the story. It's like so familiar, it can actually lose its power 
or it, it, you know what I mean? We like take it for granted. You know, like sometimes you take your spouse for granted. You forget like just how awesome. Maybe okay, maybe you don't because Dana's pretty amazing and you're really smart. But like sometimes, and you don't. well, Certainly no, you don't. Well, I t- I do. I'm an idiot. So I sometimes you you take for granted how awesome your spouse is, or or some aspect, or you take for granted that you live indoors. <laughs> you know what I mean? That so, you have running water right. and clean water to drink right. on I, demand by just the turning of a spigot. It's insane. It's like we are we live like kings. Like King Herod didn't live as well as we live right now. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, well, in some ways. <laughs> well, what, what I'm saying in terms of his creature comforts, right? He did not yes. have air conditioning and right. uh, running water as clean as – yeah. But um, so how – just as – you've been a pastor now for a year. You speak uh, – you've spoken probably for 40 – Christmases in a row on Christmas Eve, you know, uh, how do you keep the story fresh? Is there anything that you do or is that just inevitability? Is that something we have to fight against? Like, what do you do? Well, it's part of part of what Jay and I tried to do with the, the way we started the messages is that we 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 identified this capriccio, this um, genre of art that basically takes something um, that is really super well known and places it in the wrong time and wrong place. So it takes a it takes a say a building like we used St. Paul's Cathedral of London and put it in the wrong place 200 years before it was ever built and then and in the wrong place it's in the wrong time in the wrong place it's now in the wrong place they put it in Venice. Hmm. So they draw draw it on a Venetian canal, right? Almost like a way to wake us up. So it's like the shock of it. Wait, yeah. I recognize that building, but that's not but where it's that goes. Completely wrong. Yeah, and that's the poster child of capriccio is Jesus Christ showing up on Earth as a baby, God Himself coming down and being with us, and the shock of it. So you, it's just. It's it is yes we yes we take it for granted yes we're so become so familiar with it that it's human nature to be very casual with the things we're familiar with it, that's why we that's why knives cut us that's why <laughs> ovens burn us that's why um, things happen that are bad that don't normally happen because we're careless we're careless with things that should be paid attention to and the capriccio illustration is one of trying to wake us up to say, do you see, do you, can you see just how crazy out of context God visiting mankind coming down to, to rewrite the script for us in no other world religion even attempts to try to say anything like that. This, all of those other world religions, man is trying to get to God, but here God is coming out of place and leaving heaven and glory and coming down and becoming a baby. I mean, not only a baby, but a poor baby to a poor family. And not only that, but to an oppressed people. Um, and, and the vulnerability and the shock, the shock of it, I I personally have to work very difficult to make, I mean, work very hard to to overcome the difficulty of the familiarness of this of the story. And you just have yeah. to you just have to think on it slowly. And then it just becomes outrageous. It becomes outrageous that God would do something like this out of love for us. Yeah, totally. Um, Yeah. uh, um, Well, the thing is, though, it's like the story has been hinting at this, right? The story, 
the story. Uh, and I remember when I wrote the Abraham book, I did a whole bunch of work on ziggurats and pyramids, you know, uh, in the ancient oh. Mediterranean. And the whole idea was that man is trying to build a tower to get up to God, because that's the only way that heaven and earth can meet is if man exerts incredible building acumen uh, in order to get to get up to get up toward God, you know, and that's the only we have to make the trek. Yeah. Um, but yeah. but this is the opposite. This is not you know going up. It's it's God coming down. Yeah, and in fact, you know, um, the John passage, John one fourteen, where it's they John intentionally uses. Old Testament tabernacle language. Ah, uh, the word became uh, flesh and made his dwelling tabernacle. Dwelling, yeah. He tabernacles with us. The, so that and, that that word is an intentional hint back to the to the yes. Yeah, it's absolutely tabernacle language. It's this. It's the. It's the same. And so he's he's coming and making his dwelling and literally pitching his tent <laughs> among us. Yeah, it's it's just craziness. But but but. We that would have been very familiar to a to a Hebrew first century reader who would say, oh, of course, that that was Shekinah glory. That was God coming down among his people. Now he's coming down and identifying initially with a very, very small group of people. But eventually he's going to open it up to not just one single nation, but to the whole world. Another thought I had. So like you're talking about the word tabernacle that this is the conclusion of kind of the exit not sorry not the conclusion a highlight of the exodus story is god yeah. gets his people out of egypt rescues them takes them across the red sea and then begins to like go into a tent and literally live in the center of his people as the most glorious inhabitant of this new community he's trying to forge um some in some ways i'm like man i I kind of prefer that. That sounds pretty awesome for God to actually, and he, you know, he appears in a, a pillar of fire by night and uh, kind of the, a mist or um, a shade um, in, in the day, clouded shade in the day to cool the people from the heat. Uh, is that, how is that, how is that better? And how is that insufficient? Because kind of part of me is just like, man, it would be so much easier if Jesus were right in front of me, if God were right there It'd be like a yeah. physical reminder. Like in some ways, I kind of like think that that's better. So how is it better? How is it worse? Yeah, I think this is really important for us to to kind of get our head around. Number one, it's better because you're not guessing. When the cloud moves, you move. When the cloud, when the, you know, if the, and you, you stay in the shade of the cloud or you stay in the light of the fire at night to protect you from, um, anything you so you can see it's when you just pitched the tent whenever the cloud stopped and then when the cloud moved you took the tent down and ran up and tried to catch up and go so it's also very communal right in the presence the presence of god is not with an individual it is with a people right okay it comes down not on a person it comes down on a dwelling on a on a tabernacle so that there are advantages to that in that there's no guesswork about where we're supposed to go, but that that's really only desert travel. At some point, if you're going to make a home, if you're going to be led to a place to be, you no longer need the guidance of the Shekinah glory. So, so number one, it's there are some advantages, and, and most of it is 
it's a very communal thing and it's very um it's very you're very sure about what god wants you to do you leave or you stay in so but but life is not like that unless you're on a desert exodus right you so, know and right. and and now the spirit of god and that tabernacle language of the temple and the the, the spirit now dwells in individuals so and, yeah, you skipped over one though. Uh, the, he, he dwells in Christ next, right? Right. So, so talk right, to me because right, right. my son and I watched The Chosen, which I know you're a big fan of. So our, our family watched it, and one of the things I'm struck by that one of the things that really strikes my son is he's like, man, how fun, how amazing would it be to hang out with Jesus? Like, there's a sense of adventure. So yeah. so he's like drawn to that that idea of an incarnational Christ who laughs, who winks who is upset, yeah. who who challenges, who heals with his words. He's right yeah. there. So what's the benefit? Because it, it seems like it gets God gets closer. <laughs> he gets closer um, even than the, 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 the dwelling tent in Exodus. Suddenly God is now walking around. So why is that better and why is that not as good? Well, I think... I mean, to walk in the presence of Christ, that, that sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Uh, <laughs> You know, I because I think he would have been funny. I think he would have been challenging. I think he would have been engaging. I think he would have been encouraging. He would have been the most encouraging person you've ever been around. Think of the most encouraging person in your life. And then just to walk in a, a day with Jesus, you, you must come out of there going, think about it. He took a dude, some dudes that were not educated, fishermen, blue collar men of the, you know, just men of working with their hands and turns them into the greatest theologians that'll write some of the greatest, you know, stuff that's ever been written. So, yeah. I, mean, it's just, I mean, we're reading one so, of them now, John, <laughs> the word yeah, so became flesh. Just to, be, and, in his, yeah, just to yeah. be in his presence would be beautiful. Yeah. But Jesus declares it's better now than with him. He be, tells his disciples, yeah. it's good that I leave. It's good John. that I go away. Yeah. It's good okay. that I'm going away because in my place, there will be one who walks beside you, a paraclete, the spirit of God. And, and it will make life the see there's no real transformation from the inside until the spirit of god comes in there and takes over and begins the process of sanctification now i know this i don't mean to be theological here but it's important for us to understand if you read like the the hallmark chapter of sanctification which is romans 8 which opens with there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus now in that freedom it goes on to say at a beginning at about verse 10 or so um you got to have the spirit of god to, to do that work and the spirit of god takes up residence and then begins the process of turning our lives into imitations of christ's life and that seem, and that doesn't always seem like it's that good to us. I'm sure we would rather walk with Jesus in person, but that seems to be the the way that God has decided to bring about his kingdom in this at this time. Well, I mean, at the very least, we have Jesus being physically limited by his finite body. So there's only so many people he can touch or talk to or hang out with. Literally, yeah, he's hanging up in Galilee. Nobody down in Jerusalem gets any. Right, Jesus. exactly. No, so th that's one there. benefit. I also, as you were talking, I was wondering, it was, and I know we don't really, I don't know if we have the answer to this. The disciples and those who were hanging around Jesus were transformed. Was there just like a temporary localized Holy Spirit outpouring on those guys? Because we don't see uh, the Holy Spirit really come till Pentecost. 
Um, no, I don't think I don't think they had the Holy Spirit until Pentecost. Because there are certain times in the Old Testament where the Spirit of God will rest upon a person for like a temporary time. Yeah. You know, even the writers of Scripture, the prophets, and I such. think there could have been right. So here's the the distinction in my mind, and as I think this is just my take on it, is there's a filling of the Spirit. I like when Jesus sends them out, it says that he sends them out and, and empowers them. I think that empowering is a, is a temporary filling of the spirit where they go and they preach the gospel and they heal people and do all those kinds of things, but they're not permanently. Yeah. It's in temporary. Well. Yeah. Yeah. I it's see what you mean. Per- it's temporary. Once Pentecost comes, the promise is, is that the spirit of God, because of the, because the death of Christ makes the indwelling possible, possible right? Sin yeah. has now been completely paid for. Yeah. And we become vehicles in that restoration of the work of Christ on the cross. Um, we become people who can now have the spirit of God indwell us and begin the process of turning us from knuckleheads into people who actually look a little bit more like Jesus. Right. You guys mentioned in the in the in the in the message Ephesians 2 this beautiful idea that, you know, um you are members of his household, you're built on the foundation yeah. of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus is the chief cornerstone and then he talks about the whole buildings joined together to become a holy temple and you're being built you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I love that because it's like um Paul's talking about both a you meaning you all to your word y'all are being built as dwellings uh you like your church the expression of Ephesus church but also individually you're a dwelling so it's this really beautiful kind of or at least that it that's yeah, kind of and the, and the progression is that God dwelled in the tabernacle um and then God dwelled of course in Jesus and we as we've talked now because of the work of Christ on Calvary now God dwells in us. Right. Okay, so now I want to talk pastorally. Uh, I know there's some folks who probably feel far away from God, that the idea of him dwelling with us seems impossible. Like their day-to-day life, uh, God feels far away. And we've, we've, you talk to people, I talk to people, where they feel kind of far away from God. Like this idea of God making, um, literally tenting with us, <laughs> you know, and not yeah. with us or not beside us. But actually in us, doesn't Amen. it seems God seems far, he seems cold. Um, that doesn't seem to be a reality. Um, uh, talk a little bit about um, your advice for those folks. Um, and I know that it, it, it's hard to do because there's so many particulars in pastoral ministry where you, you'd want to ask questions about things. But talk a little bit about when people come to you and they, and they say, I don't, I don't feel this. I don't actually believe this. It doesn't seem true in my life. Um, these are beautiful things you're saying, but man, I just, I don't feel it right now. Uh, talk to me about like what kinds of things you would say, what kind of advice do you have for those, for those folks? Well, there's a couple of things. So, so first it begins with it, it, it's just very simply the work of Christ makes the, makes possible the indwelling of the spirit. And so have you embraced by faith, the work of Christ on behalf of the payment for your sins. Have you by faith embraced that reality? So number one, it it ain't going to church. It ain't keeping rules. It ain't singing Christmas carols. It ain't giving the right presents. There's nothing you can do. And God knowing that intervened on our behalf by allowing Christ to come. So first level is, are you in the family? Are you a vessel 
that can be indwelt by the work of Christ, now the Holy Spirit is is able to come in. Secondly, I would say so. That's kind of like basics. Are you? Have you? Are you a Christian? Christian. Yeah. And I just wanted to be really sure. I didn't want to ask it that way. I wanted to ask it: Have you placed your faith in Christ? Because that's the that's the that's the gateway. Right. It's not. It's not church. It's not knowing the right things. It's it's not saying the right things. I guess in in a way, it's like uh, that that old image of that old painting, you know, where Christ is knocking on the door, but there's only a, a. a doorknob on the inside. Yeah. Have you, have you let him in? Do you want this? Yeah. Do you want this? I stand at the door and knock and anyone who opens the door, I will come in and tabernacle with them. Wow. The language of revelation three is actually, I will come in and dine with them, which is even more intimate image. Yeah. That's really beautiful. So that's the first thing. Yeah. Yeah. If you by faith embrace Christ and if you have it, I would encourage you right now, just say yes to the work of Christ on your behalf. Secondly, just because you've done that, that doesn't mean that there are things that you can allow into your life by habit or by circumstance that squelch or quench or negate some of the work of that Christ wants to do in you. And we, it is called sin. If you're habitually doing what doesn't please the Father, it grieves the Father and it blocks the work of the Spirit of God in you. And that disobedience... I mean, it is a relationship. When we say he comes in, we mean he comes in for relationship with you. And if you just basically snuff your nose at him and say, well, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing now. Well, the relationship is hindered. Yeah. And the power to live a a life that is, you know, full of joy is is taken. And there's going to be consequences. There's going to be consequences. You're you're forgiven of those sins as soon as you confess them, but that that doesn't mean you won't suffer the consequences. So let me ask you a question. How does a person know? You talk often, you've said um, one of the great dangers to Christians is not sin. It's unconfessed or when you know, you know, you're doing something known sin, unconfessed known sin. So, you know, you know what you're doing is wrong and you haven't brought it out to to others and God. Or how would you say? Yeah, if you're sitting there wondering, gosh, I'm not sure. I think I I don't think I've done anything. Well, then you haven't. (laughs) Don't worry about it. The the Spirit of God. But if you ask the but if you ask the Spirit, yeah. If you ask the Spirit, yeah. Part of His work is to you know bring um, sin to mind. So the problem is, is when we know there's sin and we just decide, you know what, I'm I'm gonna do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It feels good. It makes me feel good. I like it. People like me when I do it, whatever it is, or yeah. I don't feel the pain and some of the of the grief that I have in my past. I'm numbing myself to that. Those kinds of things are blocking the work of God. So number one, have you embraced the gospel of, of hope, which is appropriate since this is the first the first week of Advent is hope. Yeah. Have you embraced the Advent, the, the promise of hope? And secondly, are, is there anything in your life that you know of? that is blocking the work of God in you. Mm, that's good. And if there is, you need you need to confess it and turn away from it. So it's confess and rep, it's repent and it's confess and repent. So confess is acknowledge, repent is turn away from. So you've got to confess and yeah. repent. Can I can I can deal. I can I break in before you go to the three? And I I, yeah. I hope I'm not breaking in too much, but uh over Thanksgiving my son came home, right? And so yeah, we got to have, all, was that to it was, oh my gosh. And my, my heart was full. My wife didn't leave aside for like two days. It was very sweet. Uh, but um, we were talking about some of his friends and some of the people that he knows. And one of his friends is like really kind of pushing theologically, is Jesus really this? Is Jesus really that? 
And, uh, he, you know, like questions about predestination. Does God really make people go to hell? You know, just kind of almost like uh, deep theological questions. And so we're going through those. And, and Justice has answers for those. And he's talking. But he's like, his friend isn't quite going. And then I said, well, wait, hold on. Is he really asking the question? Or does he want to get out of the demands that he knows that Jesus is making? And, right. and my son's like, no, that's it, Dad. He doesn't want there to be a Jesus who is this way because then he knows the demands and he doesn't, he, he's not interested. So, well, here's the, I think here's the deal. None of us really want that. <laughs> we want to live our own. Yeah. Life. We'll all do that. We all do this. Right. Right. It's, it's not just his friend. It's all of us who do this, but, um, some I, of us have learned yeah. what we really want is not what we really need. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and we've learned from some of that. Okay. We've so, been, We've all been stupid. Yeah. So number one, is Jesus actually the king of your life? Do you want him to come in? Number two, unconfessed sin that is known. Okay. So now let's say that the answer to one and two are, are by, are, you know, no, Steve, I, 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 yes, I, I think so. And, and no, I don't think there's anything unconfessed. Well, um, and yeah, I'm trying really hard. I still, he's, God still feels really far away. Is there another, another yeah, layer? There is or, a third, a okay. third level. And that is um, the brokenness of life. Mm, what do you mean and by that? I mean, th there will be times when life will crash in and it will hurt like hell and it will it will drive you to question some of the things that you believe it 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 has a it has a purpose. It is the megaphone that God uses to grow more Christ likeness in you so that you can be the kind of witness he needs you to be. But but dealing with the pain that life strikes in you can sometimes get you into patterns of grief or victimhood or depression or discouragement that, you've, that you just have to work your way through. And that is where it is so important that you do it in community. The American way doesn't help us here. We think we're all we're all bad and can do it ourselves, and we don't need any help, especially men. And the truth of the matter is, is that you you can't do it alone. You just cannot. It's impossible. And so, and life will eventually crash in. So, if you don't have community already built into your life, it's you're going to need it desperately once life crashes in. So, those are the three things: is that have you come to faith? Is there sin blocking the work of God? And then sometimes it's there's no, there's nothing, you've done nothing wrong and life turned upside down. Here's the thing, in John 1, or I'm sorry, in John uh, 13, where's he, where does he prune us? John 13, John 17. John 17? Gosh, I just went blank on that. Uh, John 15, uh, he cuts John, off every branch that bears no fruit. John 15, John 15. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. So in John 15, it says that, that that there are some branches who have basically been disobedient and they get cut off or pruned back. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are some branches who have produced much fruit or they've produced fruit and they get pruned back. So <laughs> being disobedient and being obedient sometimes feels the same. <laughs> uh, That's weird, isn't it? That's yeah. weird. But the goal of the Father, it goes on to say in John 15, the goal of the Father is for you to not just produce fruit, but produce much fruit. And if, you, if, if you're going to have any kind of a fruit tree or any kind of vines that are producing fruit, you're going to have to prune back those branches, even though they were really fruitful the last season. They've got to be pruned back so that new fruit can come. And, and, and so it's, it's a difficult 
thing to be able to discern on your own what's going on. Is this disobedience or is this just a pruning back to make me more fruitful? That's why community becomes so critical because yeah. we are not good at self-diagnosing this on our own. Yeah. We are not. Um. So I, I wonder if... Wow, we went into deep waters I, on this. I know, I know. It's just, it, I wonder if there's a sense in which, um, I don't know how to say this exactly, but the earlier incarnations of of God can actually help remind us. For example, I think about that tent of meeting where God was telling his people, you can find me. You can find me. There's even hints within the tabernacle, like there's always a lamp that's on because God wants right. his people to know the light's always on. It's almost like, you know, when a mom leaves on the porch light for the kid, you, you're, yeah. you're, you can always come home. There's all, there's times when they, God just tells the priest to bake bread so that the smell of the welcome of the bread, there's a sense in which God's trying to say, I'm always mm-hmm. here. I'm always here. And so when you feel lost, come back and I'm here. And I yeah. feel like sometimes in my life when that's been very confusing, if I go to the church, if I go back to the place where I know God indwells, I can actually live on the faith of others for a bit. Uh, it's like their, um, their closeness to God reminds me it's possible. And I can sit in that, in that heaviness and, and like drink in, even if it's like secondhand smoke <laughs> yeah. in, a, in a spiritual yeah. way, because I can't access it. But if I couldn't go near where I know God was or go back to the place where I know he was, and just sit for, and sometimes it takes a while. Those dry spots don't, like you said, they don't often go away. I, I don't have the right to speak to it the way that you do. You, you've really, you and Dan have really been through that. Um, is that have you found that to be true as well, or am I am I off Absolute, on that? Absolutely no. I think you know. I think a NASCAR race, and a lot of times I'm just drafting off somebody in front of me. I'm just drafting off the cars that are around me. Yeah, and. Or I, I think of uh, the people movers that you have in some airports, you know, the little flat yeah. people movers. A lot of times, I think the Holy Spirit is kind of like that and community is like that, that. You can get on the people mover and if you walk, you actually go faster than you could if you were just walking next to it. But sometimes you can just stop walking. Even if you, you can't walk, walking. God's still doing a work. So just, and you're still moving So forward. don't get off the people mover. Just don't get off just the don't people Just don't get off. Yeah. Just... Yeah. Well, and you've said, you've said this before, you've said this before, um, when you talk to men, a lot, of, I don't know why we're talking about men, but we, you and I both were, we did this men's thing. Um, the better man, we were there for 10 weeks. Uh, it just ended this past week. I was at a table, there was a men's retreat. So there's a lot there. One of the things that you said that you look for as a sure sign of death is isolation. Isolation leads to death. Is there an isolation here? And I, it feels like that's the enemy's game plan is isolation. Uh, is that sound, is that also what you're talking about here? Yeah, it is. It, 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 it's, and it's not just men, it's teenagers. It's, it's anybody following. Of course, of course. Show me somebody that's isolated. I will show you somebody that's not long for a fall. Wow. They're going to do something. Man. So that's a, that's a sobering reminder. I think for all of us, for all of us. Yeah, man. Well, okay. So now let's, let's spring forward. Um, incarnation is is here god god came that's the advent oh and that's the way the message closed is that it's an adventure advent and adventure are the same word in latin it's the same word and so what what god is calling us to is not a killjoy it's not like oh yeah come be with me so we can all sit around and hold hands and sing kumbaya 
No, are you kidding? It's an adventure. Advent is an adventure. So I hope that this weekend has has woken us up to the beauty of this adventure, that God would come near. That's awesome. Yeah. Come down among us and invite us into this adventure of following him. I love what you said. You said it's outrageous. Yeah, like I was reflecting on it on my drive in and yesterday, because Lisa and I are talking next week on how far he comes. We're talking about the humility mm. part. And mm. it's, 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 it's obscene. <laughs> it's, it, it's, 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 it's the word. Uh, there's not even words for how in, out, out, outrageous is the right word. Like uh, unbelievably outrageous. And I think that if we can get to that and then get to the heart, because I, I don't think these stories are meant just to be told to us. I think they're really meant, I think what John is doing, what the authors are doing is trying to get us to see so that we might be transformed by these stories. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's, that's true. And I, I just think the invitation is fight through the melancholy commonness of your own Christmas and fight through the, the wonderment I love it. of the adventure that you're being invited into. I love that. I love it. Fight yeah. It. Yeah. There's wonder. All this story is filled with wonder and awe. Yeah. And so let's, let's get into it. Uh, th- well, Steve, thanks for uh, uh, serving as smelling salts to snap <laughs> us out of the, uh, I, life has concussed us on the football field of life and you are the smelling. I don't know. That probably doesn't work. Concussions in football, probably not a good analogy, but, uh, I appreciate, I appreciate it. And, um, I, I'm excited for Advent this year and I'm excited for us to, to again, snap out of, um, kind of the, the, the bland accoutrements and, and get into the heart of it. So thanks. Thanks for your time. Yeah. May it be so beginning in you and I. Yep. All right. Well, we'll see you next week, man. Uh huh. Thanks. Just want to say thanks to Steve Clifford for stopping by. Join us next week when we talk a little bit more and go a little bit further and deeper into this story of the incarnation where we talk about the humility of Christ, how far he came, not just that he came, but how far, as Steve kind of mentioned, uh, he was born, but not just born, born in a manger, in poverty, to an oppressed people group at the corner of the empire. I mean, this is an insane story, how far Christ comes. We're going to talk about that next week. Lisa Avery will be here. So continue with us as we journey through Advent. What an adventure. Ha. Uh, it, it is. We'll see you next week.